Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. As we kick off a new year, and well, who knows, maybe a new you, today's programme is appropriately all about health and wellness. We're meeting the founder of a super smart brand with a proven passion for optimising performance, who's aiming to do nothing less than revolutionise well-being. You can create with the right information well-being ecosystem and routine that costs you absolutely nothing if you are minded to do that. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Harry Jameson's the co-founder of Pillar Wellbeing, a luxury wellness brand that takes a preventative and truly comprehensive approach to health and well-being. An award-winning expert with almost two decades of experience in fitness and hospitality, Harry's been a performance coach for world leaders, industry CEOs and major corporates. Harry stopped by Midori House to talk about blending his passion for well-being with world-class hospitality, the expansion of the business and those pillars of good health that underscore his unique approach. Harry began by telling me about his early adoption of wellness practices. We were very forward-thinking, I think, way before it was trendy. The things that we now refer to as the wellness industry were a focus of mine before it was known as the wellness industry. So gut health, sleep, meditation, mindfulness, all of the things that go up and make you know, someone who we see flaunting their daily routine on Instagram, jumping in ice baths and meditating. And, but actually, on a serious note, what's the science behind that? How could you use heart rate variability to track one's stress responses to the world? We were doing that with our health retreats in 2010. Mm. And you know now that data's been used in Whoop and Aura Ring and, and Fitbit, and people still get a recovery score, which they don't really understand. But you know that's, that's data. So actually not deliberately commercially, but we were doing those things before it was trendy. So, Well, I always find that really interesting. Do you know your inner vanguard when that's happening? Obviously, you must be delighted, I guess, at the direction of travel more broadly. As you said, a whole industry has grown up around the values that you were talking about. But did you have an instinct, if we go back, because it's what we're talking best part of kind of 15 years now, that this was something where there was going to be that opportunity? Or was it just that it was where the crosshairs of your passions met? It was where the crosshairs of my passions met, but it was also the niche that I'd carved out within our space. So if I sort of rewind, it was actually my first ever client. I always refer to him as my first big client. But after finishing my degree, qualifying as a personal trainer, spending a couple of years still up in Liverpool where where I was, and I'm not from Liverpool, as you can probably tell by my accent, but spent some time there and came back to London and got a job in a private studio on Harley Street, And by default of our position within central London, we had really, really interesting people in and around us. And the guy who owned it, John DeNorris, was kind of one of the original celeb trainers. And so he was training people like Noel Gallagher were in there three times a week. So he was spending lots of time with him. And he was training Simon Fuller, who had 19 management. And it was like pop idol days. And so there was some pop stars floating around and some really interesting businessmen and women. But my first client was a guy called Ben Elliott who started Quintessentially. And so he founded the original concierge service, which had an extremely strong database of elite members during that time that I, by default, got access to. So 
the wants and needs and habits and behaviours from a well-being perspective or from a health and fitness perspective of these high net worth, influential, important, some of them thought they were a bit more important than they actually were, but, you know, that level of person, that C-suite businessman, that exited founder, that entrepreneur, Ben went on to be the chairman of the Tory party, which then in turn meant I went to work you know, I was introduced to senior government and worked with the Prime Minister and did lots of things. But the reason why we approached or I saw an opportunity to approach the way I've approached my career was that that individual, not only did they care about how they performed on a daily basis, extremely competitive environment, I want to wake up, I want to win. If I'm going to become the CEO of a huge business, if I'm going to run a country, if I'm going to being incredibly successful at my chosen path in life. I need more energy, I need more resilience, I need better bounce back, I need to get over it from jet lag, I need to not get ill. That's one thing. But I also need to offset the chances of that job, high stress and pressure, making me ill. And actually longevity and performance were where those two spaces intersected. So you couldn't just make sure that they fasted a little bit and lifted some weights. We had to think about how they manage their sleep, their stress, their digestion, and all of the things that encompass a high-performing individual. Now, that sounds challenging. And even if you're well-resourced and you've got a great deal of expertise, as you obviously have, Harry, you, you are being asked, in a way, to deliver a holistic solution to someone who, maybe just by force of circumstance, can't do everything that you're asking them. How can you mitigate the unpredictable demands that are always made on their time and resources and bodies and mental well-being because you have to try and devise a solution that can work even if it's not implemented 100% every time, right? Yeah, I mean, that's completely right. We coined a phrase, you know, the business athlete. How do I take this individual? You know, some of the clients I work with are famous and you look at them, you say, this man is not an athlete. 100%. I don't know who you could be referring to. But... However, that individual needs to start to approach it. The reason why really successful people in sport have been able to transfer and have really good conversations in business. So Alex Ferguson is a great example of someone who's gone into huge institutional banks and, and talked to them about the foundational belief systems that get great results out of people. Clive Woodward said it best. He said, high-level sport is getting results out of people. High-level businesses about getting results out of people. So they're also incredibly goal-orientated. They're incredibly motivated. They're incredibly, you know, they have to stand up and perform at a very high level consistently over time. And no one in that space had ever looked at recovery properly. No one had ever looked at sleep quality. No one had ever looked at outside of the aesthetic from having, you know, a certain body composition. No one had ever looked at the health and the energy benefits of having a certain body composition. So if you were going to sell somebody a program, you better make sure you could credential whether it was going to be effective or not. And some of it is damage limitation. Some of it is I lead a lifestyle where I skip between time zones multiple times a month. I have engagements that require me to drink lots of alcohol. I have a stressful life. I have you know, multiple stresses and pressures and the decisions that I make are hugely, the ripples of those decisions are impactful for, in some cases, millions of people. So I better put myself in a position to do well. Expecting them to train like an athlete six days a week and eat like an athlete seven days a week is unrealistic. However, putting a framework and a structure that offsets the chances of those negative health connotations that I talked about in terms of longevity, but also boosts their energy levels 
if you wake up and you feel shit every single day, how are you expected to go and knock it out the park? If I give you more energy, if I give you a bit more sleep, if I remove your lower back pain, and if I make sure that the fluctuations of the energy that I've given you are more consistent throughout the day by regulating your blood glucose, are you going to be better at your job? Are happy, healthy, well-nourished, well-rested, motivated and not anxious energized individuals better at life yes they are so that was the kind of mindset we approach now if you turn up hung over to death on 20 minutes of sleep am I going to get a great session out of you no if I teach you how to meditate are you going to become better at getting over your jet lag yes so we you know we had to definitely pick our battles interesting you were talking I know about general principles behind your work but as you were asking those questions I was asking myself and thinking I think I might need some help from this guy. Anyway, that's that's one for another day. Tell me about pillar well-being then. It really feels, and from doing more research and what I kind of know about the brand, it feels like a culmination of all your learnings and experience. You've also brought together lots of really talented people who presumably you meet along the way and think, this person, this, this lady knows what she's talking about. You bring them together. Is that what it is? Is, this the, is it that culmination of all of your learnings to date? Harry, would you say? Yeah, I think if you often ask entrepreneurs and founders what their business is, it is that. It is their passion meets their experience, meets an opportunity, and you know, the culmination of that sort of trifecta. And you've got to have you've got to have some balls and go after it. And I think often many people don't go after their dream. And so I guess if we think back to the origin story, which is you know, me leaving a studio on Harley Street with a really great client base, and I guess the development of the wellness industry as it was then from fitness into wellness and starting to understand I really dislike the word holistic because it's just been bastardized. I think I said that earlier, didn't I? It doesn't make me dislike (laughs) you, it just makes me dislike the word. It's just been overused and bastardized and doesn't really mean anything, you know. What's a holistic practitioner? It could be someone selling snake oil in a kind of Asian-inspired spa or it could be somebody understanding that the way you move, the way you nourish, the way you recover as a sort of ecosystem is going to have the largest impact on your daily performance. Now that's, that's a holistic approach. It doesn't have to be a hippie in an ashram, you know, (laughs) shaking some. Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they get it right. You know, and we Mm. think about the origin story of, of my career coming out of this high performance luxury fitness studio in, in central London, in Marleybone, when I left there, I started to take gym spaces in, in luxury hotels because there were you know, lots of them dotted around. And at the time, and even to this day, 80 to 90% of them were unmanned spaces. So there were mm. these really beautifully designed, ready-made luxury personal training studios that nobody was, was using. I decided that you know that would be brilliant. And so if I could use them, there would be some PR value to the hotel. Plus, I would have my own space and didn't have to pay for it. Didn't have to go and build this, you know, marble palace full of techno gym treadmills. You know, they were already in existence, and we saw a shift that the luxury consumer started to really care about wellness. And this is pre-COVID. This is COVID accelerated that, but this was sort of became apparent to me. Rocco Forte's daughter, Irene, contacted me via a friend and said, "You know, would you like to come and do a health retreat in our?" beautiful property down in Sicily called the Vajura. And I think the odd yoga retreat had happened in the past, but it wasn't now. It wasn't like now where half the holidays I see people go on are are some form of retreat of some kind. It was actually quite unique. And so 
we put together a very humbly named business called the Jameson Retreat, which was unsurprisingly fronted by me, marketed via the Quintessentially Network. I brought in top physio that I knew, a top sports masser, a top physiologist expert who now come and works for us as our clinical director, the guy who was you know, measuring people's heart rate variability before it was trendy, and brilliant chefs or, or nutritionists who could work with their team. And so we had this pop-up wellness retreat in these beautiful locations, which meant I got to go on lots of nice holidays and meet lots of great people and pre-Instagram pretty much, even you know, the early start of Instagram. But the idea of that people didn't just want to travel away to get pissed or to play golf. People actually wanted to go away and come back feeling better. And it became really apparent that hotels had no idea how to deliver that type of product. Mm. They were great and are great at selling rooms and good at making cocktails and very good at concierge and making sure you feel looked after. But there wasn't high-level service delivery into well-being spaces the spa was very product-led and, and still primarily is to this day so I could have you know a beautiful brand put its beautiful products on my skin and a, and a relaxing experience but there was no talking therapies there was no physiotherapy there was nothing truly mentally physically or even emotionally restorative hotels didn't have memberships at the time and so again something that which, which we really helped to drive our partners with at Pillar was create a brand and a business and a group of people who can put together something which is unique in that space. And we had branded spas for a very long time. And we thought, instead of this pop-up culture where we'll spring around the world, what if this was a permanent implantation, private, well-being-focused members club within a luxury hotel which helped the hotel attract external people and by external people I mean local community why would we ever visit a beautiful central London hotel if it wasn't to go to the bar actually there's an amazing wellness space here that we've helped to curate and then draw the three elements that we've identified in pillar which is how you move how you nourish and how you recover well commercially that's a, a recovery suite or a spa and let's challenge what traditional spa is as a fitness or a movement space, gym and a studio that needs programming and, and design, and a restaurant. And healthy eating has really been very interesting for too long, and we thought we could elevate that. So we've got a, you know, well-being private members clubs that we're rolling out in partnership with, with some incredible properties around the world. Uh, super exciting, and I guess around this time of year, or probably more in in a few weeks' time, early Jan, people start to have their resolutions, and that I can imagine you're maybe a little bit cynical sometimes about some of those ideas that you can change your personal kind of narrative without. It's a deeper investment that's required, isn't it? But to that point, I find these three core pillars. You know, the pillars, I guess, of pillar mm. movement, nourishment, recovery. It's a premium service, as you've mentioned. It's something that people will kind of aspire to to be a part of. Do you think there are values, though, that run through Pillar that anyone can sort of buy into, even if they're not literally buying into, in terms of how they reframe their own experience? And if they say, look, I want to get in shape in 24, it's not necessarily about physical shape, or, but yeah, being Insta-ready. I want to feel better about myself. Can I sort of filter some of these learnings, but not maybe I'm not, I'm not able to join Harry for a session or, or attend yeah. one of these venues? Are there, are there kind of values that are, apply to... you know it's well-being is not only for the affluent the way that mass adoption normally happens you know in loads of different markets is that super affluent people with the means and resources latch onto something because they want the best of the best and they've got a little bit more of an opportunity to 
get in with the thought leaders within a specific space and that's what they like. But that then becomes available to everybody. If you wanted to go and meditate with a Buddhist monk, you know, you'd have to have the means and resources to do that. And Headspace came along and they completely democratised it and then everybody could access this amazing channel that allowed them to physiologically, it was down-regulating their autonomic nervous system, reduce their reactivity to stress. The human body doesn't care how much money is in your bank account. It reacts the same to everything. If you eat certain foods, if you think in a certain way, if you move your body in a certain way, it will physiologically respond the same as, as anybody else. So I think... You know, well-being is completely democratised in that sense. Access is not always, but, you know, we've got this great opportunity to create greater accessibility to information. And I think what we've done as a business and a brand, and I've been very conscious of this because anything in the luxury space can have, and sometimes rightly so, you know, the big accusation is that we've just created something for a small percentage of people on the planet and actually the people who need it the most will never be able to access it, which is why we give away as much free information as we can on our channels, which is why I like talking in environments like this because the little snippets, it's a bit of an old adage, but, you know, they'll sort of teach a man to fish and, you know, he can feed him and his family forever. The skills that we believe in and that we teach... You know, the skills of you know, stretching is free, running is free, bodyweight workouts are free. My column in the Times isn't quite free, but it's not expensive to access. Healthy eating, there's a fallacy that healthy eating is more expensive. That's not true. Sleep is free. Water is free. Breathing is free. So you can create, with the right information, well-being ecosystem and routine that costs you absolutely nothing if you are minded to do that. Motivation is free, but it's hard. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. so that is that is the you know, one of the points I think that people people potentially struggle with. It's easy for him because he owns a gym. It's easy for her because she's rich. Motivation is difficult for everybody. Finding time I, I, I totally appreciate is more challenging. But I think great thing about well being is it's there for those who seek it. And the best types can be, as proved by Wim Hof. Do some breathing, run yourself a cold shower, and my God, you'll feel better for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I like that it's it's free, but it may be scarce motivation. That's certainly my my experience. Very inspiring. You're quite good at this, you know. Yeah. Do you think? I, I can okay. see why I can see why people maybe occasionally listen to you. you know. <laughs> Let's talk briefly about the future. Obviously, Pillar, huge exciting. You've explained to us how it came about. It must be so exciting to be putting all of these principles into into practice. What does it look like? What I mean, you're, you're, I, I sense you're a man who doesn't struggle with motivation. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong and I'm jumping to conclusions. But what keeps you motivated? You enjoy lots of successes. You build something with a really compelling story and people get engaged by it and excited by it. But does that feed your motivation as you go forward? Do you have to look further ahead? How do you do that? How do you calibrate what your expectations are? You know, I spent so long coaching people. You know, one guy who I find... And I've always found incredibly inspirational. He's one of the managing partners at McKinsey. And so I definitely learned as much from him over the time I spent. You know, my entrepreneurial sort of education is definitely by osmosis. I spent time with these incredibly interesting people and I found that hugely motivating. I found their stories inspiring. And somebody asked me if I thought I was successful the other day. And I, and I said, you know, not yet. I said... You know, as a trainer that I was for 20 years, I couldn't have probably done much more in my career. I mean, I'm incredibly proud of that. But now, as part of the founding team or as a founder of uh, several businesses, 
and ventures and I sit on some on some boards for some VCs and, and I've done a lot and they're all going well, but none of them are global roaring successes. And so if you seek success, and I don't just mean monetary valuation, I just mean once you start to achieve some of the things you wanted to achieve, you should keep continually moving the goalposts a little bit. Not that you should never be satisfied, but I think as your skills progress, you should try to fulfil your potential. And I find the fulfilment of my own personal potential very motivating. And I feel like the more I go on, actually, you could probably do a bit more. <laughs> you could probably do... Because I'm very honest with myself. I'm pretty harsh critic on myself. If I've done a really good run, at the end of it, I'm like, you probably could have done that. Go and hold the plank. It sounds tomorrow. very tight. It sounds very tiring being in her. I don't know. Is it tiring? I, I enjoy it. I think I, we did this. I'll just go to the plank for a sec. Right, go and hold. We're not, we won't do it now. But go and hold the plank, and I'm gonna see how long we can hold it for. And you'll drop down, and then five minutes later, I'll go. If I'd give you a grand, would you have held it for another thirty seconds? You'd be like, ah, oh, man, he's right. So you can always do a little bit more than you thought you could. And it doesn't mean that you should be dissatisfied when you've done a good job. You should always, you know, celebrate your wins for sure. But I think I'm around lots of very ambitious people and ambitious even though they're already successful. And so the driving force behind your ambition becomes mine does. I have two young children example to them, role model to them, motivation for our team. Just imagine if we could do something amazing. Like, that's amazing. And not many people get the privilege to do amazing things. And I think if you're one of the privileged people in the world who has the opportunity to do something amazing, don't fucking half-ass it. Like, do it properly. Because you want to look back at the end and go, you know, we did that as best as we could. Well, just, yeah, on that point, I guess this is about the degree to which you'll almost follow your own advice. And Naturally, taking advice is harder when things are going less well or when you're facing challenges day to day. Do you think that, do you listen to your own advice? I guess is the question I'm asking. You know, I became sort of one of my clients. You know, if I think back over the 20 years I was training people, I'm a coach who loves to be coached and I've got people who help me. And I might have hired a younger me to help me on that journey. I would have been telling myself to do lots of the things that I'm doing because whilst your Instagram and your brand and all of those things can portray this beautiful picture. The actual harsh reality of entrepreneurship is really, really tough. And at the moment, particularly the socioeconomic climate that we're in, how expensive debt is, how restricted and and difficult it is to get VC money at the moment, especially in the UK. I think there's a bit more liquidity in the States at the moment. But venture capital for seed businesses early stage businesses it's not there and it hasn't been there for a year and i hope it comes back next year you know i've fundraised three startups and i'm doing a fairly significant raise for pillar at the moment and it is fucking tough to get money and what you used to have to do to pitch enterprise investment scheme in the uk eis money that you can get off of you know individuals and there's a tax benefit to that and so raising money was actually much easier even one or two years ago. And so if you get up every day and have to go through a stressful, the stresses of A, building your business, B, motivating and driving your team and C, raising capital into a top co and then managing a board and and a load of investors, that's really hard. And actually without 
the right structure, that actually needs to protect you much more mentally than it does physically. It's nearly impossible. And unfortunately, we're seeing... Someone told me something incredible, like divorce rates amongst entrepreneurs is up in the mid-80s as a percentage because your interpersonal relationships get whacked, your health gets whacked, your energy levels get whacked. It's really, really difficult. Now, you can protect yourself against some of those negative things by having a bit more structure in and around what you're doing earmarking time for your partner and your children, earmarking time for exercise, having a simple breathing, stretching and hot, cold routine in the morning will have a huge impact on how you feel for the rest of the day and move your you know, your nervous system into that down-regulated space because we're spending a lot of time feeling like the world is trying to eat us alive. And without that recovery protocol and, you know, everyone leaning on booze in the evening to de-stress and caffeine in the morning to get you going again... You know, I love wine and I love coffee. In fact, I have a coffee in my hand. I was reassured that you requested a coffee, (laughs) actually. I felt slightly better, just for a flicker of a moment. But those those things do need to be... You need to be mindful and conscious of those things. And I think anyone who's, you know, entrepreneurial or doing their own thing, who's listening to this, you know, this will resonate because the market is very, very hard at the moment. However, I truly believe that the ones that get through the other side of this next 12 to 18 months, well-funded will have such better disciplines around the way they run their business. And unfortunately, lots of their competitors will have fallen by the wayside. So buckle up, guys. It's not for the faint-hearted. But, you know, if we get through this, you know, there'll be some really, really great things, you know, on the other side of the next 18-month hurdle. But make sure you come through mentally, physically and emotionally intact because, you know, that's often the sacrifice that you pay. Can you tell straight away when you talk to someone if they're going to take your wisdom, your advice... You're coaching on heart. Is it? You must have refined that ability to know. Hang on, this is a time waster, or there's something genuine in there. I think the thing that motivates people to want to take that advice has changed. I think it used to be aesthetic. I want to look a bit better. It used to be I want to lose a bit of weight. It used to be I want to look younger. And I think now it's like I want to feel better. If I don't, you know, I feel shit at the moment because I'm not sleeping and because I keep arguing with everyone because I'm so stressed. And as a result of which, I just don't feel good. I think especially the founders and the senior executives that we work with, they really care how well they perform, how well they show up every day for them as individuals because everyone's got a big ego in that space, but also for the people around them and for their team. They want to be seen to lead from the front. They want to set culture I just want to feel better. And so whether feeling better means managing my stress levels or feeling better means elevating my mood through various different methodologies, whether you're taking supplements or breathing or exercising in various modalities, I think when you're speaking to someone who really desires that outcome, they will listen to it. And I think, you know, hopefully you have a, you know, a message and a brand and as an individual you are respected. And so if they respect you and they fucking need it, then you go, you've got the best chances of some adherence to those behaviours because if I tell you to go for a run tomorrow on you know, Saturday, you're not going to go, my God, my life has changed. You need to consistently ab- adhere to those behaviours over a decent period of time in order to yield something. So entrepreneurs understand that better than anybody else because they bought into this process. And actually you need to approach your personal well-being, both mental and physical, as you would your business. And I think if you trust that and you adhere to it, you are the result of the behaviours that you consistently do over a consistent period of time. 
And like in any business, your health, you can't give up because then you're definitely going to fail. That's the only thing that's sure is if you give up, you'll fail. Is well-being for you then a process or is it an outcome? Well, I suppose it's both, actually, is it? Uh, do you know what? That's a really, that's a really nice... For me, the ultimate measure of well-being is, is happiness. And I think a lot of people you know, should be driven by wanting to feel happy. And I think there's a lot of I'll be happy when mentality. And we think I've got to sacrifice all of my happiness, all of my money, all of my time with the people who I love for this sort of goal of exiting my business or creating something which is, you know, lives beyond and creates a legacy. I think you can be happy and healthy and fit on that journey. You don't have to give everything up. I think the process is the routine and the outcome is 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 your well-being, not necessarily wellness as a kind of modern term. It's, you know, your well-being, which encompasses, you know, your overall health, because that is the most important thing. A well man wants many, many things, and a sick man just wants one thing. And so, you know, don't let your health go on that journey. But the process should be fun. I love training. I love running. I like playing sport. I love those things. And my biggest piece of advice to someone thinking about setting out on a journey to better their own personal health, please do not pick a modality that you hate. If you hate running, please don't, please don't pick up running because you will never adhere to it. If you hate swimming, if you hate cycling, don't do those things. There is something out there in the world, whether it's playing paddle or golf or horse riding, right? there's something out there which is a physical, it's physically strenuous, so you're going to get the benefits of that. It's mentally relaxing because, you know, it's cathartic and you're not staring at your phone or arguing with someone about a bill. And it is, you know, and in many cases it's social. I think the social element of well-being in terms of the physical interactions with other people around you is often lost because entrepreneurship and leadership can both be lonely places and, you know, you need to seek out all of the, the things around us that we feel that, you know, we're often missing out on. That was Harry Jameson, and you can learn more about the brand by heading on over to PillarWellbeing.com. That's it for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do look out for Eureka. That drops every Friday. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer, with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. You can follow us and catch up with the archive of shows at monocle.com or wherever you get your podcasts. To contact the team, drop a note to Laura. She's on LRK at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs. The Entrepreneurs.